everybody, welcome back to I Eat Movies. This is I Eat Movies number 12. This is uh, somewhere between, I don't know, a mini episode to another scene report episode. We will have to come up with a name a for this. Title. <laughs> yeah, a clever title, you know, TBA, as it were. Uh, my name is Dino. Uh, across the uh, internet from me is my man Mike. Hello there, ladies and germs. Yeah, and... Um, it is hot as fuck today and this yeah. week, and we are each dealing with our own uh, malaise, our own issues with uh, this summer and things going on. And there's a lot of things going on, and mm, too many we, things going on. We have all these. We have a bunch of ideas, and we're gonna get to them. But we wanted to throw together this uh, this quick episode, a relatively quick episode um, <laughs> for us. <laughs> Well, they, what? There's a lot of people who seem to like Scene Report. Uh, yeah, yeah, that that is, yeah, that that is one of our more popular episodes. Is the the yeah. Scene Report thing? I don't know if it was the conversational aspect of that, the more conversational aspect of it, or was it the fact that we, uh, you know, shut our yaps a little bit more than we normally do, or, or or you know, honed it in, what have you? But yeah, people seem to really like that one. And as Dino said, uh, this latest episode of ours is sort of a Sort of a, um, you know, a bridge between stopgap. <laughs> yeah, a little uh, stopgap, if you will. Dribs and drabs. Yeah, yeah, precisely. Of uh, break a know, brack. Kind of <laughs> as we kind of see um, the finish line in sight for uh, what I guess we're kind of going with is our season one, if you will. Uh, and we're going to mm. get more into that at the tail end of this episode. But yeah, I mean, really, first and foremost, Thank you to everybody who has been just eating movies right alongside with us. As we mentioned, this is our 12th episode. Uh, we've been happily doing this. Uh, me and Dino, you know, we started this thing as a way to kind of uh, combine our passions for um, cinema, kind of underground cinema, uh, under you know, offbeat cinema, if you will. Uh, and I think that we've gotten to be much better friends out of it, too, which is probably the biggest plus that I'll take out of this. <laughs> Um, well, the jury, the jury's out on my. Yeah, let's see, let's see how let's see how good you are tonight. I'll, I'll work yeah, on that. That's true. That's true. But uh, yeah. Uh, in all seriousness, yeah, it's been a blast doing this show, and we can't um thank you guys enough for tuning in episode after episode. Uh, the feelings are totally mutual. We love putting on this show, and hope that you guys have been enjoying it. So, as we're back, Dino, how the hell are you? Other than you know sweating, uh, you know your balls <laughs> off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I, look, I'm good. I'm good. And I, um, we have all this theater stuff going on right now, actual, physical, real time, in person theater. Uh, yes, it is still 2021. Yes. Uh, the Delta variant um, is uh, a thing and it so forth. But um, just went to my first uh, indoor theater um, this year. Yeah, this year. And uh, I am off this weekend uh, to the West Coast to my next indoor theater to go to the New Bev, yeah, yeah. Uh, the New Beverly in L.A. Uh, that uh, I've wanted to go to for a long time. So I've got that coming up and I'll talk about, you know, some of the stuff going on there. And you, uh, it's exciting to see, it's exciting to see that Mike is not living at the drive-in in Pennsylvania, <laughs> our Mahoning drive-in, but yeah. uh, he he's like pretty much took a little bit of time in between his drive-in schedule to go to work and, you know, do yeah. this to 
<laughs> so, kind of yeah, gra- grab a shower, brush my teeth every so often. Uh, yeah, uh, very exciting. Dino going to my favorite place in the world, Los Angeles, to visit uh, the incredible New Beverly. Uh, Dino will definitely touch more about that. But yeah, I've been pretty much, um, I think, um, a permanent fixture at the Mahoning Drive-In. Our friends at the Mahoning Drive-In in Lehighton, Pennsylvania, uh, this entire drive-in season, which of course starts in April, goes all the way to October. So yeah, most weekdays I'm there. Most weekends, Friday through Sunday, I've been there. I've uh, been seeing a slew of fantastic programming, all on 35mm, of course. Uh, and I will certainly be getting into uh, plenty of that, because most of my movie watching has been happening on that wonderful lot in front of that beautiful CinemaScope screen. Yeah, you were just there on Sunday um, introducing... The Black Hole, correct? Yeah, I was there. It was a joint show uh, coming off of Real Weird Weekend 4, uh, which is a joint show between Exhumed Films and Mahoning. Uh, two nights of uh, oddball cinema from the forefathers of the midnight movie. Uh, we had a Jodorowsky um, double feature with El Topo and The Holy Mountain, which mm-hmm. I don't know if we've ever talked about these films. Um, those were my first times with them. And, oh, uh, but yeah. Nice. Yeah, uh, wasn't a big fan of them. Wasn't a you big need, fan. You need to do more drugs. Yeah, um, I think that probably was it. But now, that might be that might that might happen in season two. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. Stick After around, season, folks. Yeah. Let's see what happens. <laughs> yes, I will say that those films are um, complete and totally uh, unique visions, and I like applaud them entirely for being what they are. Uh, just overall, they didn't do much for me. Although I will say that I did prefer El Topo slightly more than the Holy Mountain. Now, to be fair, I was a l- little delirious during the Holy Mountain, so uh, well, I feel I, I, you know, I, to, to to cut you off, you know, which I I like to do. I tend to do it. It's just nat- favorite. It's nat- it's, it's natural. It's not even favorite. It's just natural. <laughs> Um, I, um, <clears throat> it means to revisit, um, I, I vaguely, only vaguely remember El Topo, but I don't, I don't think, I don't know how much those lend themselves to the drive-in. I think those are really, those are true art movies, like from mm-hmm. the period of time where there were art movies and art, you know, art house theaters and so sure. forth. Um, and I definitely really loved Holy Mountain when I saw it in the theater as an experience, but like in a place with walls, yeah, um, with walls and 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 without you know I I love the drive-in experience, but I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not sure every movie works as your first time on That's the fair. Drive, on the drive-in That's screen. Fair. Um, that is and, fair. And, and and I was I was lucky to see uh, Holy Mountain with uh, with a good friend who saw it in the seventies. Um, I don't even remember where in Boston, but one of the independent theaters in Boston. So, and I I also I also have to wonder because those are such rich rich visual movies. Like I don't even I, I would almost wonder if seeing those on film because uh, I'm assuming they're going to be old prints anyhow. Um, I'm assuming. Seeing those on really good digital restorations might be the way to go. Yeah, um, 
I mean, I, th- I think that's probably Maybe. what it is, j- just considering I was pretty... Uh, I mean, the prints did look good, d- v- mm-hmm. very much so, actually. Um, I, I, have, but, I have utterly no idea if they have struck new prints of those movies. I have no idea. So. Uh, I'm not sure, actually. I mean, if the, if these are if they were, in fact, older prints, they looked great. Um, color was really rich in them. But yeah, as I mentioned, I was pretty delirious during The Holy Mountain. So I, you know, these films, I'm sure, lend themselves to repeat viewings to really see uh, oh, yeah. where you land on them. But uh, yeah, that was night one. So uh, the second night uh, was a John Waters double feature uh, featuring Female Trouble, one of my favorites, uh, matched with Desperate Living, which was... Now these are drive-in movies. These are drive-in movies, yeah. These are definitely midnight movie uh, drive-in fare, which was great. Uh, Desperate Living was a first-time watch for me, and I was, uh, again, also kind of delirious during this one. I would like to revisit this one, but I was really excited because this was uh, an exact double feature that The New Beverly just did uh, only a short mm. month ago, so it was very fun to kind of have that duplicated for us there. But yes, getting back to your original point, yes, on Sunday, uh, um, at the close of Real Weird, uh, Exhumed Films and the Mahoning uh, teamed up once again for a discount Disney day, and they brought a rare 35 millimeter print of 1979's The Black Hole, um, a film that I was there to introduce, being the apparently the resident Mahoning Disney historian. So I come there. I still like you. (laughs) She still likes me. So we we, we have a future podcast. Yeah, we do. Uh, But I um, I have to admit, I am a huge Forster fan uh, and I've never seen The Black Hole. Okay. Uh, and and I was sorry to miss it. It's just you know that's just not how the the cookie crumbled uh, for me this past weekend. But yeah. go on, sorry. It, sorry. No, it was a uh, yeah. You were you were you were definitely missed because that was the only thing I was thinking about uh, seeing uh, Robert Forrester's face on that uh, on that screen. But yeah, uh, they were kind enough to have me to indulge me once again with um, an introduction, and then we had a really cool video introduction from Tommy McLaughlin, who was an actor filmmaker who uh, appeared early on in his career in the Black Hole and then went on to a film directing career. I think most people probably remember him for doing such things as One Dark Night, uh, Friday the 13th, Part 6, Jason Lives, Sometimes They Come Back, etc. So we had a really informative uh, firsthand um, experience introduction from him. So that was a blast. But really the thing that kind of uh, took me back that I was not even informed uh, by our friends at the Mahoning was during my introduction on that CinemaScope screen, which, if I'm not mistaken, is the second biggest CinemaScope screen on the East Coast in the country. Our uh, beautiful I Eat Movies logo was shown across uh, that CinemaScope screen for the entirety of my introduction. And I did not know that until I returned to my seat and a bunch of friends uh, showed me the picture. We've since shared it on our social media. So from the bottom of our movie eating hearts, we thank you and the Mahoning Drive-In for uh, sharing us. I hope a few more people have been turned on to this podcast because of that. But yeah, that was a that was a real treat. But um, a bummer that you were not there because the black hole, a film that I do hope um, our friends Ben Reiser and Scott Lucas hopefully cover maybe on 70 movies we saw in the 70s covers. Uh came out in 79 has a kind of a cult cinema fans, you know, dream cast down from, you know, Robert Forrester and Anthony Perkins to uh, Ernest Borgnine and Yvette Mimiu, a really awesome cast, phenomenal score from John Barry, incredible production design, a lot of, a lot of cool things. It was sort of Disney's way to cash in on the disaster movie craze, which by the time it came to theaters, that craze had 
kind of come and gone. So yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and that movie has a very you know it's a very mixed history. I think it's a notorious flop. There's a lot of mixed opinions on it, which usually means it's interesting. Yeah. Um, I'll get to I'll get to it eventually. I'll get okay. to you know like <laughs> a million like a million other yeah. like a million other I'll get movies. To it. I'll get to it. Um, That's the infamous thing that cinephile say to one another. Oh, that sounds great. I'm gonna get to that. I'm gonna add it to the pile. Add it to the watch list. <laughs> I love the idea of a pile. Uh, yeah, I have like I have like a watch room of yep. things I'm waiting to well, we each do. Uh, oh, so this pack. So this past weekend, I did say I went to uh, my first. Um, it was my first indoor movie, um, which in some cases, not just for Yodorovsky, uh, I do prefer. Uh, I did go, believe it or not, uh, as someone who does go on occasion to New York City repertory shows, it was believe it was my first time at Film Forum. My partner wow. and I went um, on a lark. I don't know, you know, I just. Uh, caught new wind of a series that they were doing based on um based on a book by christina lane called phantom lady um which is all about uh the women um behind uh the whole series of films is 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 about the women behind hitchcock but uh especially um especially uh this movie that we saw phantom lady uh, which is produced by Joan Harrison. The reason why Christina Lane did a Zoom introduction, uh, the 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 movie was introduced by you know by our uh, my friend Joe, who is uh, the, also the host of the Deuce film series, mm-hmm. the best the best film series in New York. Uh, though unfortunately, I think it's going to be a few more months before it comes back at Nighthawk in Brooklyn. Uh, he introduced Christina Lane, who did a Zoom introduction to Phantom Lady. Is my first time seeing it. Uh, a movie from 1944. Uh, it's not very often I see movies this old on the big screen, but it was spectacular. But the book, the, the book Phantom Lady that Christina Lane wrote about the about uh, Joan Harrison, who was the screenwriter and and uh, associate producer of this movie. Uh, I picked up a copy of it. I want to. Ch- I'm excited to check it out because apparently. This film, uh, which I really recommend, it was outstanding, um, directed by Robert Siodmak, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it, it made Joan uh, Harrison um, the first female producer in the studio system wow. because she insisted uh, that her adaptation of the Cornell Woolrich book that she turned into a, a story that is primarily um, – uh, a primarily a female protagonist uh, that she insisted that they not butcher it because none of the studios wanted to make it. And mm-hmm. I guess Universal, from what I understand, Universal said, okay, I, 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 we, we, do, we don't really like it, but if you want to do it and be the producer, you want to produce this thing and be more responsible for it. Um, and that's what you know, she did that. And, and it, it, so we went in for that on Saturday night and, um, I, but again, my first time at Film Forum, uh, first time figuring I'm going to be going to a theater, going to the New Bev uh, on Sunday. Uh, two important, maybe, I mean, undoubtedly two of the most important repertory theaters in the United States. I'm going to them each for my first time within eight days time. Um, Fantastic. It was a really fantastic movie. Uh, I, I, I highly recommend it. It's yeah. got a great. It's got a great. Uh, it's got a great bit um, 
with Alicia Cook, a young Alicia Cook Jr., who I know only as an old Alicia Cook Jr., mm-hmm. just by virtue of my biases and the eras of film that I tend to focus on, as a um, as a uh, orchestra drummer. Uh, so, so he he really gets to ham up his bits as this uh, this hepcat jazz uh, in jazz uh, obsessed drummer, mm-hmm. um, but. Yeah, very, very good. And so, okay, so yeah, um, what am I doing this weekend? I'm flying out to Los Angeles. I have, it's basically my first time there. I was there once uh, 23 years ago. The more I think about it, I think I was in Los Angeles proper for like a day and a half tops, maybe just a day. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, it's a different city and it's not a city I know. But basically, uh, I'm going with the head uh, of Fun City, John Hertzberg. Um, because Walking the Edge, uh, which seems to have a following at the New Bev, I think the New Bev has kind of built up a following for that movie by based on the print that they own and the fact that they uh, play it. And, and, and it's, it has a uh, very Tarantino, um, very direct Tarantino connection in that the Max Cherry character from, uh, played by Robert Forster, uh, the Max Cherry character from ja- from Jackie Brown basically has its roots in the Jason Walk character from Walking the Edge. Mm-hmm. Uh, Walking the Edge is playing um, there on Sunday. I'm afraid it is sold out, though that's actually good news for the theater and for Jonathan. Indeed. And it actually marks uh, four years to the month that he and I co-hosted this movie at Alamo, Brooklyn. So wow. it was one of these opportunities where I said, you know what, this is, it's kind of crazy uh, in a way, but fuck it. Cause when is it, when, you know, when do you get these opportunities? So, and I've wanted to go to the new bed for years. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going as well. It looks like on Monday night, cause about as new bev as you can get, or especially as, you know, new bev slash Tarantino as you can get, they are doing a four or five day feature tribute to William Smith. Yes. Which, again, like <laughs> I don't know any other place that would really do uh, that kind of thing. But they are showing two Jack Starrett movies. Um, uh, Chris Jolly from Temple of Schlock always put the idea into my head uh, about how much he loves Jack Starrett as a director. He's probably best known for Race with the Devil, I think, mm-hmm. as, as a director. But, you know, actor, I think he did stunts also, if I'm not mistaken. Um, mm-hmm. But... Um, Monday night, they are doing a doubleheader also of movies that, that the new Bev has shown before. I think they uh, I think they might be reversing the order, and now I'm not going to get the order right, but it's Hollywood Man um, mm-hmm. and The Losers. Wow. Uh, and Hollywood Man is, is Hollywood Man is pretty interesting. I, I haven't seen all of the losers. Hollywood Man is is um, a low-budget meta movie about William Smith playing, I think, a stuntman who has borrowed money from the mob mm-hmm. to make his own independent picture. And, of course, you know, things go awry when the mob realizes if they sabotage the movie, they can get more out of him than just the money they loaned him. Right. <laughs> um, that sounds like a goddamn hoot, and I'm very envious of that particular double feature. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm curious how, uh, how that's going to go. And um, so, yeah, so I'm I'm going, you know, I'm going to L.A. I'm going to be I'm going to be uh, masked up. Uh, obviously, L.A. has uh, an indoor mask um, regulation right now, as a lot of places are, are now returning to. And uh, yeah, let's see where that goes. It's going to be interesting to be in Los Angeles again. Oh, see definitely. something different. 
Yeah. Oh, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm, uh, I'm excited that you like L.A. because, man, the more people I mentioned, the more friends and acquaintances I mentioned that I'm going to L.A., like the last person I mentioned it to, uh, a coworker was like, oh, I didn't like it. <laughs> it's like, I, I'm going to Los I don't like that town. Uh, I have two different people who both told me that it's like a shithole and they hate it, and they both admitted they'd never been there. Um, oh. <laughs> uh, it, it's 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 a funny thing that Los Angeles, I'll tell you. Yeah. So um, I do love I'm, it. It is. It's. I mean, I, I haven't you, been. Glad yeah. to hear you do. I haven't been in years, to be fair, and I'm I'm so envious of you right now because all I would want to do is be at the new Bev. Um, yeah, I love Los Angeles. I it might be through rose-colored glasses that I say this mm. stuff, being a big you know Hollywood lover, um, you know the town of razzle dazzle. So that certainly feeds into it quite a bit but uh yeah i certainly hope that you have a, an incredible time and um you know bring me back one two four ten shirts from the new beverly what have you you know you yeah. don't have four five ten shirts in the new bev sir i have like three maybe <laughs> oh i'm so sorry excuse okay. me oh you have three shirts of a theater you've never been to yes <laughs> wait you, you, I, I thought you had been you never been I've never been to the new Bev. No, no. Oh, okay. So, I thought. Yeah, that's, I figured you had. Okay. No, that that's that's the big dream is to kind of go back there. The big dream really is to do a cross country trip at one point, uh, and hitting up all of the big theaters along the way, the Music Box in Chicago, ultimately ending up in Los Angeles for maybe two weeks to do, you know everything under the sun the egyptian the new bev so mm -hmm. that's the dream it will happen at some point but uh i suppose that brings it back to me as far as other stuff uh going back i guess to the end of july stuff that i sure. caught up on uh not gonna talk too much about this one because i did not care for it too much and that was 1976's death journey starring fred williamson who directed it too um the poster, uh, it's been in my collection for years. The poster is really what, well, what, what, for, what? What's the release you have, by the way? Uh, the Code Red Blu-ray. Oh, okay, Code Red. Gotcha. Yeah, well, Code, yeah. it, it's, a, it's a Fred Williamson-directed movie, and he's yeah. directed at least 20 films, maybe more. Mm -hmm. I can't Give remember offhand. Um, and they are their own particular kind of, um, I don't want to say torture, <laughs> uh, but you really roll the dice with him. Sometimes you're really going to have to laugh your way along with it. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but a lot of those have been packaged. I mean, especially in DVD, in DVD, uh, budget DVD format. A lot of those have been packaged and repackaged a million different ways. Yeah. But that's one of the Jesse Crowder movies, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's it's one of the Jesse Crowder movies. It might even be the first one, if not the first, the second, perhaps. Uh -huh. um, yeah, uh, no way in hell could it have lived up to its really gnarly poster design. And at not even 80 minutes, I think it's a 75 minute movie. It was sure. a slog to get through. And I mean, slog to the point where I fell asleep several times. Uh, you know, we, we've all been guilty of that. The falling wow. asleep, the rewinding. So when you know that it, something is not keeping your attention at 75 minutes and I turned this on at a pretty early hour, like midnight, 1130, which is early for me. Um, yeah. So it did not care for that. And I believe that, you know, that, for better or worse, rolls into, ladies and gentlemen, the worst movie I have seen for oh, 2021. Wow. Yeah. Oh, I, I, he's going, folks, he's going negative. I want, go big. <laughs> yeah, I want some adjectives. Oh. I, want some, 
I want oh. some higher. I want some steam coming out of the yeah. ears. Oh, th- this was this was really good. Yeah, th- this was just fucking horrendous. Uh, back, I saw this at AMC theaters with um, friend of mine, Aaron, uh, another Mahoning regular, uh, oh, a Jersey yeah. girl. Yeah, not too far. So we're we're pals, and we decided to roll the die and go check out M Night Shyamalan's latest opus. Old. And you know, <laughs> you know, fuck wow. me for giving fuck me for giving people chances because it, uh, if we all recall, M Night Shyamalan hit the scene uh, pretty hard when he first came out with things like The Sixth Sense, which I did not. The Sixth Sense I did not even see until a year and a half ago. That I don't think I, I don't think I've I, I don't think I've seen it to be honest. I saw two of his movies tops, yeah. and I think The Village is the only one I remember. Well, but, yeah, the, the the village is <laughs> village is another one that kind of started the, the the downfall. But yeah, the sixth sense I hadn't even seen um, until uh, a year and a half ago because at that time when that came out back in '99, that ending, that twist ending that he's become known for, was almost immediately ruined. So with that spoiled, it really <laughs> killed any chance of you really wanting to see it anymore. But I digress because he followed that up with signs, the Mel Gibson, Joaquin Phoenix film, which I still think to this day is his best film. Um, and then slowly, but surely, uh, things, him being this hotshot director, things took a turn for the worse where his films just slowly became more and more frustrating bullshit. Mm. And, uh, he found himself in dire straits when he did stuff like the happening with Mark Wahlberg through, um, the last airbender, which was a live action, uh, um, film based on a Nickelodeon animated show. And then he did a film called after earth with Will Smith and his son just, you know, at this point, I'm sure everyone has their, has their film where they just threw their hands up and said, I'm fucking done with this guy. But, <laughs> but to be fair and in his defense, something did happen where he did have a bit of a rebound and he hooked up with Blumhouse, um, some years back now and made a really micro budgeted thriller called the visit. And I don't, I, I think everybody's expectations of this guy was just completely flatlined. So when that came out, we were kind of, uh, you know, surprised by it it was actually pretty good for what it was uh and then he kind of slowly started to build himself up so uh he came out with i believe split and then glass which kind of uh merged uh the franchises of unbreakable with his movie split so he was kind of a he was sort of on a on a high I, for someone who's angry you're doing a hell of a good job doing like a whole case oh. Guy. Oh Jesus. no! I'm sorry. I'm really sorry because we're getting. Carry to on. It. Yeah, we're, Carry no, on. we're getting to it. So you're thinking, oh, this guy is definitely like, you know, he he's he's on the up, you know, like he, he's kind of slowly building his career back up again, and then old stumbles along, reminding you to promptly go fuck yourself. <laughs> because, because not just this, not see the movie, but go well, on. Yeah, this movie was just complete. I mean our jaws were on the fucking floor. And you know, the worst part about the movie is, is that people, more people than not, well, I I don't want to say more people than not, but like a fair amount of people are walking out of that movie and we're like, "Hmm, that was all right. It was okay. And I blame, in in addition to a lot of bad things that COVID has done for it, COVID has absolutely destroyed people's, you know, 
sound mind and body when it comes to movie criticism. People are mm. just like, they're just l happy to be out, I think, experiencing a movie again and aren't really willing to be like, oh, I just fucking took money out of my wallet and wiped my ass with it. That's literally what I did. I don't think they <laughs> want to admit that to themselves because this movie was such nonsensical bullshit. I oh fucking hated it. Fucking hated everything about it. It was fucking terrible. There were people in it that I liked uh, in the cast. This film is apparently based on a graphic novel, which I'd fucking never read. And I think that the people that, you know, scripted that, um, that fucking novel should probably be pissed because I'm sure book sales are drying up because people probably have seen the movie and be like, no fucking way. I'm reading that book now. Wow. Oh, wow. it was fucking terrible. So this that's would that would be that would be in in modern, you know, I regret modern movie uh, comic book tie in. That would be the opposite of fan service. Is this oh. is fan? This is fan disservice. Is that what yeah, you're telling me? I, yeah, th this is probably the definition of fan disservice. It wow. was just fucking terrible and to to put it to put it simply how bad is old well the my next least favorite film of 2021 was mortal Kombat. so this oh, i remember this yes this yes. film is worse than mortal Kombat, which was fucking horrendous too so yeah this movie was terrible um m night Shyamalan, just yeah he he has he has firmly struck out yet again. So, wow. Yeah. I, I, I want to say, I'm, I'm glad that your job, whether we define this or not, I guess I'm glad <laughs> that your job is to actually have faith in this shit because I'm not like super grumpy about, I promise like, you know, I'm not the grump I play on the internet, um, but I'm not super grumpy about such things. I just don't bother. Like I, I, I know I have a house full of movies, whether they be, you know, the other Fred Williamson movies, which I want to, I want to go back to quickly. Uh, I, I just, I just don't bother. I like, I like, I, I, my issue with those movies has to do with my tastes in general, where like if if a movie like his movies tend to be has a central conceit, I usually find. Uh, my mind just goes to a place where that conceit seems ridiculous and I don't buy the central conceit. So the whole movie falls apart. Yeah, that's been and, my experience. And I and, and, and but good for you that you actually have the faith to be like, well, maybe this one works. And I'm yeah. sorry it hurt this time. And that, yeah, it, it it hurt a lot. And you know what? He is he is one fortunate motherfucker because. I don't know who the fuck is always on his marketing departments for his films because, you know, fool me once, all that bullshit. But when it came to this film and his films in particular, you're always quick to wash your hands with this guy. And again, I don't want to bash him too hard because there are films from him that I like. I do like Signs, Unbreakable, etc. But when he misses, he misses really hard. But that being said, every time he does really strike out, the next one that rolls around, everyone's like, nope. Fuck him. I'm done. That last movie was bullshit. I didn't buy whatever. <laughs> but then the marketing yeah. rolls around and the marketing in his films, they either overwhelmingly win you over or they give you this is how it was with me with old where I was like, oh, I don't know. But then there was just enough in the marketing where I was like, well, maybe there's something there that they're being coy or mysterious about that. I'm just I'm just curious enough that I'll watch it. So, again, right. He's very blessed with good marketing where, you know, <laughs> they get assholes like me that keep coming back every few years. But uh, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm fussy that way. But, but OK, just for what it's worth, um, just to go back to just to go back to Fred the Hammer. I make please. fun of Fred as the director. Um, I think um, 
and maybe I shouldn't say that story. Anyway, there are <laughs> there are things about Fred uh, Williamson's history as a director and where the money came from and where the money went that I think are <laughs> notoriously questionable. But that said, <laughs> I am a fan of Fred Williamson. It's just that his sure. him him directing him directing is very 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 hit or miss. Uh, the second movie or one of the first movies he directed, because I'm not going mean, to. There's almost. I can go by IMDb at, uh, dates, but I don't trust them, especially for 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 movies as as low rent and 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 Z grade as they often are. Some are better than others as mm-hmm. the movies that he directed. But he made uh, Mean Johnny Barrows was yeah. I think the first movie he directed, and then he made Adios Amigo. And I don't care how bad Death Journey is. I did watch it once. It's years ago. There's no way it's worse than Adios Amigo, which is a painful movie that recycles the same bit of music. It's a painful movie, even with Richard Pryor in it, but he's barely in it anyway. But uh, okay, so th- you know what? Three- mm-hmm. I'll I'll take that bet because I've seen old. I will take that bet. Oh, I want you to do it. <laughs> uh, I think so. The Jesse Crowder movies, which I first learned about in in speaking of speaking of Tarantino, uh, the uh, the Rolling Thunder book, um, what it is, what it was, mm-hmm. or what it was, what it is about. Um, quote black exploitation black action movies uh the jesse crowder movies are three movies i think he directed two of them with the same bounty hunter character played by fred jesse crowder um death journey no way back and the one that he didn't direct which is uh, blind rage which i started a while back and have to go back to but that's like that's a Filipino. that one's movie. pretty fun actually and I think you just lucked out or, or did, you know, or, or, or screwed up, I guess. It's not like that. Apparently, I think No Way Back is the best one. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to watch it again. I know No Way Back has undoubtedly the best music. It's got the Dells um, mm-hmm. doing uh, the Dells, one of the one of the so, one of the um, one of the sole vocal groups of the 70s. Um, and mm-hmm. some of the songs on it, because it's 76, I think the, I'm not sure. Yeah, I guess the. There's no official soundtrack, but like three of the songs from it are on the No Way Back album by the Dells, um, oh. which have which have turned into like, especially for Chicago, like Chicago disco classics. Ron Hardy, uh, Chicago DJ, um, a famous deceased Chicago DJ, uh, did mixes of those. And there's house versions of No Way Back. Um, Death Journey is the one on a train. Uh, all three of these movies came out in 76, Blind Rage, Death Journey, and No Way Back. Um in terms of Williamson, I think Mean Johnny Barrows is decent. It's been a while since I since I watched it. It does have a, a kooky uh, cameo by Elliot Gould. Um, I did uh, one down, two to go. Not re- not too long back, um, he did uh, after um, after uh, or around the time of Vigilante. Williamson did a bunch of movies with Joe Spinell. I should note that this is August. Uh, our third annual Spinell week was the first week of August. Just mm-hmm. ended this past Sunday, and uh, I, I shared a bunch of uh, a bunch of uh, fun Spinell scenes on Instagram. It's hashtag Spinell Week uh, of Joe Spinell. Um, I encourage everyone to celebrate Joe Spinell, especially uh, all the other stuff he did, which is numerous beyond his horror oh, movies. Yeah. Um, there, he he got a lot of money, mostly Italian or Filipino money, to do. Fred did to do uh, directing movies in the eighties. Um, I think The Messenger is pretty good from eighty six. Also, Spinell in that. 
as well as Cameron Mitchell, who's, um, you know, predictably drunk. Uh, and, and I get a kick out of South Beach. South Beach is another one that he directed. Forrester pops up in that. But it, it's, it's one of several movies. It's, this is 93. Because Fred Williamson, to his credit, kept getting movies, to, getting money to slap together these movies, put his friends in them, obviously call in favors, and still make some money somehow. In some territories that he sold these damn movies to, they did okay. And there's there's a little bit of wheat amongst the chaff there. Yeah. Uh, South Beach literally opens up with him and Gary Busey. I think uh, they're on a golf cart. And it, they're just like chumming with each other, like just like kind of grinning and, you know, hey, it's two guys going out to golf together. And it's like, <laughs> it literally feels like this is Fred asking his buddy Gary to help him out with this movie he's going to make. Uh, it's, you know, they're amusing enough for, for trash of the period. Um, in terms of a uh, scene report stuff, I want to just, I have a whole list of course of shit. Cause I can't just come with two things, uh, that I, um, that I've been watching lately. Um, ah, man, one, one of the best things I've seen in quite some time was the new Severin Blu-ray of Siege. Which is also, uh, I think, known as self-defense. It's uh, in the mail for just me. Buy, it is shipped. Just buy the fucking movie. Um, based on, I mean, it, I don't know if it's based on a real story, but it takes place during a thing that really happened: a uh, police strike in Halifax. It is, it is um, totally in the mold of the original assault on Precinct Thirteen. It is hard and spare, and clever and efficient. Uh, really amazing. Um, you know, fight back thriller actually with a uh, with a bit of um, LGBT uh, text to it. Um, hmm. Just amazing, amazing, amazing. Uh, you know, the High idea. Praise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, apparently, during this actual police strike, uh, there um, reportedly this movie, which starts with news footage of people literally lighting off fireworks and doing donuts in their car in front of the police station because the cops weren't going to do anything, yeah. which is like real footage. Apparently, that's that's the only footage that exists of a 50 day police strike Holy by the shit. by the police of the city of Halifax. Um, I can't wait to get it in the mail. That was incredible. I told you I think I told you recently, um, you know, I, I watched uh, the, a tape copy of Perfect by uh, James Bridges. Um, yes. Which, which uh, you need to let you need to have me uh, get that from you because uh, we yeah, talked yeah. about it. We've talked yeah, about yeah. it before. The Blu-ray that Mill Creek put out is in the wrong aspect ratio. So yes. I have um, resisted yes. watching it because it is a ver- apparently a very beautifully uh, composed film. Um, yes. And I don't want that uh, taking away from it. But so it has cool. it has a bad rep for no reason. Um, and I don't think it did what they wanted it to, but it's a very interesting movie. And yes, I have the videotape and chances are the DVD is in better shape than the the Blu-ray version that you have, Mm -hmm. which takes us back to another point that we're going to hammer home as often as possible. Um, Whatever form you get to watch movies, especially if it's a if it's a respectable version, not a wrong aspect ratio version, you know, there are stories. uh, Should not go into too much detail, but I did hear about somebody who literally said I don't do DVDs. I don't give a fuck what you do. If you do movies, then find the format that works. Um, if you want to see a movie, as far as I'm concerned, I'll buy a bootleg if there's no other way to do it. I want to support companies. I want to support quality products. But like, yeah, do, you, know, I, you do I, what you can to see cinema. 
I don't want to be, yeah, I, I want to be able to, I want to be able to experience these things and maybe share them with other people. I don't, um, I don't believe being a format fetishist uh, yeah. ever really works. Uh, I wasn't that way. Um, I wasn't that way with music. Uh, I, 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 maybe I wasn't, maybe it was in the early nineties, but that's another story when it come, came to records <laughs> when I was young, younger and much more stubborn, but anyhow, um, perfect, uh, really impressive, really impressive, uh, eighties drama that, that looks at, um, that looks at, uh, aerobics and journalism, um, and is effectively like a Rolling Stone movie made not only with the total uh, complicity of um, the Rolling Stone magazine, but John, you know, John Wenner is not is in the fucking movie. Wow. Uh, yeah, Travolta plays a Rolling Stone uh, investigative reporter. So mm-hmm. if you ever see the artwork for Perfect, it's literally the title in the Rolling Stone uh, style. So it, it, it's it's as rolling, you know, it's it's as probably as Rolling Stone as any movie ever got. Um, so are you telling me that? Travolta playing a Rolling Stone reporter could possibly go swimmingly with his performance in Blowout in a double feature. I feel like that could be fun. Different, very different. uh, I suppose, but obviously Blowout has to come second. Uh, I love Blowout, but that's, uh, well, I don't see that's tough. That's tough. I I I love love Blowout. Yeah, I love Blowout too, and I love I love the finish and the, and just the final message of that movie. But um, I don't know, you know, if I'm pro- if I was if if I were to fantasy program a theater, I, it's hard to say because then again, the end of Blowout is bleak and, and yeah. it's a hammer. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, um, but both uh, but both movies that don't get enough um, credit, especially in terms of. Uh, Travolta movies that uh, that really really work damn well that really pack a punch. Yeah. Uh, let's see what else. Um, I saw Legal Eagles recently. Uh, I have a poster kicking around somewhere. Um, a movie that Deborah Winger is in but was not was not happy with. Um, you know, pretty pretty good uh, romantic drama legal type movie of the period. That's Ivan um, Reitman, right? Yeah, and it is Robert Redford, who's almost always. Uh, I mean, I always liked Redford, and I think he, he his movies are are, are almost always re- are watchable, if not great. Yeah. Um, I'm a fan. Uh, let's see, The Naked Face. Um, sorry to my friend Brian, who recommended The Naked Face to me uh, <laughs> as as a fantastic um, overlooked canon movie. I thought it was very half baked, uh, but um, worth seeing for a few different reasons, I suppose. I just I, I had high expectations. Especially um, considering some of the stronger stuff. Considering um, there is a, oh, I always have to pause because you know I, I work for this company, but there is a restoration of Tough Guys Don't Dance coming out. Oh, yeah. uh, full disclosure: I work for the company that's putting it out, but it's it, that's a great movie. It's an insane movie. It is <laughs> one of the, It is insane and also brilliant and absurd. Um, it might not be the direct, uh, the direct strike, um, that, uh, that Runaway Train is in terms of a canon drama, but it is not too far off. It is the, it is much closer to the canon films that I want to remember, um, in terms of, you know, how I look at, I treat Chuck Norris with a delete to taste, uh, sensibility. (laughs) Um, I got this new air, this new arrow box set. I think you got, I'm going to switch to you in a second. Uh, I just, I want to keep keep it rolling. Keep it rolling. Uh, 
the new Arrow box said Vengeance Trails is fantastic. I've only watched two of the movies, uh, uh, Italian Euro Westerns, and God Said to Cain and Massacre Time, both spectacular. And God Said to Cain is a gothic Western that takes place at night. Nice. Um, with Klaus Kinski, with Klaus Kinski in the main protagonist role. I'm only two movies into this into this Arrow box set, and it was well worth what I paid. I only yeah. watched half of the four. Fantastic. Um, just rewatched Friday the Thirteenth Part Two because I. What did you think of that? That's it's its fortieth anniversary this year. Forty years. Uh, I like you know I, I knew I had seen it before. Um, you know I wanted to see it after I had seen Scream Queen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's pretty good. I'm not a I'm not a fan. What of... what what brought you to that? Because that that's a curveball from you. I'm sorry. Wait, expect... no, 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 I'm sorry. What am I saying? I said Friday. The... Uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Um. <laughs> What brought me to that? What do you? Uh, I'm sorry. Did, did, yeah. Did I mention? Am I am I going down the wrong list? What do you I'm mean? I'm just with? surprised because that just that's that seems like a a slasher movie that I wouldn't uh, typically expect from you. So what made you think? I, I just wanted put... I just wanted to see the Mark Patton uh, stuff in that. Um... Oh, you mean Nightmare on Elm Street? No, I'm sorry, Nightmare on Elm Street Part Two. I'm sorry. See. Oh, okay. Okay. This is okay. why you meant that. Um, but you, no, no, no. Um, Friday the 13th, I, I, I'm fine with those movies. No, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, I'm not a big fan of, but I did see Scream Queen recently. I'm mixing them up because that's how much reverence I have for the big franchises of the <laughs> 80s. Uh, yeah. Um, no, I just wanted to see it again, and I wanted to see some of the context uh, in it that that Mark Patton talked about. Uh, in the documentary, you know, all right. Um Let's see what else. Uh, recently watched. Speaking of horror movies that that you didn't see coming, I recently watched The Manitou because I realized I have very spotty. Um, I have really spotty uh, recollections of the movies of uh, William Girdler, and I have a few others on deck like Day of the Animals and Grizzly. But I never. I don't remember seeing The Manitou before, which was great. I need to uh, revisit that one because I sadly uh, was treated to a thirty-five millimeter print of that. During the course of a 24-hour horrorthon um, two years ago, so I was in and out of sleep during that one. So I need to revisit the Blu-ray of it. My token uh, porno entry would be Taboo that I that I revisited. Nice. Uh, a good one. Um, but um, let's see. I recently, because I speaking of falling asleep during a movie, not a bad movie, but falling asleep at the drive-in during Laser Blast last season. Yeah, I had to finish Laser Blast. Um, which is which is a, a fun a fun piece mm-hmm. of shit. That yeah, is a dri- that is that is a drive-in movie uh, as it should be, and it's a blast. Ha ha. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, it's <laughs> it's a good time. Um, obscure Barbara Peters movie, "Bury Me an Angel." I watched on videotape. That is the Barbara Peters who made um, "Humanoids from the Deep." Oh, she, okay. this is a female-fronted kind of. Um, I don't know. I want to say uh, it's it's loosely structured. It's not exactly an art film, but it's a loosely structured female protagonist biker biker revenge movie from uh, the early seventies. It's a little bit. It's a little bit more. Um, it's a it's a little bit inching towards uh, art movie from a, from a grindhouse perspective. It was interesting. It was that interesting. sounds interesting. I just jotted that one down. That's it's, it's, it's worth it's worth checking out. Um, a movie that I think uh, I think I, I've heard some recommendations about. I'm not a big John Wayne guy, though I did 
surprisingly revisiting Brannigan recently uh I enjoyed Brannigan as a you know a, a fun silly punch him up you know enjoyable movie uh but I did rewatch uh, I did watch the Cowboys for the first time which oh, I is I know that one Oh my god what a blast uh, again speaking of walking the edge uh one of the characters in that is the very prolific television and daytime television actor A Martinez uh A Martinez was a child actor uh, in television, and he was very young when he was in The Cowboys, which is a story, uh, you know, a period frontier western where John Wayne needs to dr- needs to do a major cattle drive, and there's no there's no um, cowpokes, there's no people to actually uh, help, there's no men to help him, so he enlists a bunch of schoolboys uh, and teaches them and teaches them. It's it's a it's quite a fun movie, and A Martinez plays uh, Cimarron. The one, uh, the one, um, the one non-white uh, member of, uh, and slightly, seems to be slightly older member of the Cowboys. There's a bunch of there's a bunch of child actors that you'll recognize from the Cowboys, and I guess uh, A. Martinez went on to a short-lived television version of uh, that movie, uh, but um, or not television television series based on that movie. Um, Bruce Stern has an appearance in, in ah. the Cowboys, and, and uh, I'm not gonna. It's one of his more notorious things. Um, is his appearance? He plays a hell of an asshole in it. Uh, I I watched Where Eagles Dare the other night, mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, Brian G. Hutton's uh, World War II adventure movie he made before um, Kelly's Heroes, mm-hmm. uh, which is which was actually really good. It's an it's an Alistair McLean uh, McLean yeah. story. Um, quite, quite good. Quite good. Uh, very long. It's fun to watch a videotape that has a intermission and, uh, <laughs> entracte, entracte, yep. uh, you know, the musical sequence in between, you know, during the, uh, intermission yeah, on an yeah. old videotape. Um, I started a movie that I think is lost to DVD, uh, on tape, um, an almost perfect affair by Michael Ritchie, which mm. is, um, which is, uh, um, I think it's Keith Carradine. In a Michael Ritchie movie, it takes place at Cannes. And it's basically Michael Ritchie doing his satire thing that he did in the 70s about um, the movie business. What is and this called again? An Almost Perfect Affair. Interesting. Uh, which is, it, it, I just started it. I, you know, I have three movies, uh, uh, two movies I just started. I have to get back to because I, I will start a movie and then say, I need to give this more attention. I'm falling asleep. I'm doing this and whatever. Uh, I started The Beast Within because there's another one I haven't seen. I like Philippe Mora. Mm-hmm. Uh, most, mostly, mostly because of the, um, because of the, uh, horror movies he did the howling movies uh yeah. they get they get more and more deliberately like over the top ridiculous and that um, one i believe was scripted by uh tom holland it is, too. Yes, it is. yeah exactly exactly and uh it, it, tom holland was a guest on the gilbert podcast at one point talking about it so it was another movie that i wanted to check out also got ronnie cox in a in a large in a major role ronnie cox yeah. and, and bb besh mm-hmm. um and I started that. I got to finish that. And one of the movies that I'm deliver I'm hand delivering a videotape across the country uh, by plane to a friend of a friend. Um, it is a Greg Araki, early Greg Araki movie called The Living End, which is hmm. apparently a uh, a gay themed uh, thriller. Um, again, an HIV era gay themed thriller about two, I guess, two HIV uh, positive men who. Um, 
do whatever they do. I haven't even started it yet, but it's one of these, like, it's hard to, it, it's a little, I think you could get it streaming, but I think it's out of print otherwise. So, uh, Interesting. yeah, yeah, that's, uh, there's a lot, there's a lot there that I think, uh, our listeners are going to be jotting down because I was jotting them down as you were talking. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, and there's, let me say there's other stuff like, uh, that's on deck. Like, um, there was this beautiful, uh, Peck and Paw movie that I just had to splurge on. Uh, I've never seen Major Dundee before, but I, I need there's to get a, that too. Yeah, there's a box set with both versions of it. Apparently, it was uh, Peck and Paw's most. Um, I think uh, I, I don't know if it was his most maligned or most molested by the by the the studio type movie, but there were major problems with it. There's two different versions and there's apparently a lot of extras and a book that came with the version. I have another one I have to get to. Um I did re I did just watch the imprint uh version of the big fix, which I've mentioned before. Mm-hmm. It's got a bunch of exclusive extras. God damn it. It's now the fourth time I've bought that movie. Um <laughs> Fourth time I bought that movie, and I might still keep the uh, Twilight Time version of it because it's got the isolated score. Um, and uh, yeah, another imprint one that is on deck is The Gambler, which I love that movie. I only oh, have yeah. it on, I only have it on tape, but I'm excited to check out the Blu-ray of that. Anyway, all right, I've nice. gone on too long. There well, you go. that that is a that is a slew of pictures, many of which I need to catch up on. Um, yeah, I guess that brings me right back to the Mahoning Drive-In, where I was privy to... Where the, you tend to end up back at for pretty often. Yeah, which I tend... I, I do have a house. I'm not I'm not without home and shelter, but yes, I, I, yes. I tend to be at that well, lot. But you, but you use those porta-potties a hell of a lot. Oh, you wish. I'll hold it in for four movies if I need to. Wow, okay. All right. Um, but yes, I did find myself back there for their annual Schlockorama. This year was their uh, Schlockorama 5, another joint collaboration between Exhumed Films and the Mahoning. Three nights, uh, probably their most endurance testy events of the season. Um, the first night, uh, we were fortunate to be witness to a quadruple feature that kicked off with Todd Browning's masterpiece, in my opinion, Freaks. Sure. Um, I absolutely love that film. I saw that film uh i saw a print of it at the lowe's in jersey city uh probably about a decade ago when they ran a double bill of some pre-code films it was freaks with she done him wrong which is a may west vehicle with carrie grant um interesting pairing uh she done him wrong i revisited uh pretty recently and i it didn't hold up quite as well as I remembered it, but um, Kino just actually put that out with, I believe, eight other Mae West films. So that was a blast to see again, because, again, I think it's Todd Browning's masterpiece, uh, even better than Dracula. Um, that was followed up by Glenn or Glenda, uh-huh. uh, the great Ed Wood film. Um, I love Ed Wood, not even, you know, ironically. I, I just love Ed Wood. I'm sure the Tim Burton film probably feeds into that, too, because I just... I've always been obsessed with Tim Burton since my teens. Um, the Rudolph Gray book, Nightmare of Ecstasy, is one of my favorite books. I think it's a it's a brilliant um, kind of telling of this man and all the people that knew him. A lot of parts in it, uh, people are contradicting one another because as such as life, everybody's mm. opinion of you differs from one person to the next. So it's a very interesting um, 
sort of retelling of Ed Wood and his productions and everything. So can't recommend that book enough. So um, that print was beautiful. You would think, how good could a print of an Ed Wood film look? I can tell you, fantastic, because uh, I believe the title on that particular print was um, I Changed My Sex. Yes, and, yes, 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 I've seen and that. I've seen that yeah. also at work, mm -hmm. artwork. Yeah, that was the title card that we got, and I'm sure that that film was probably ran once if it was lucky, it was beautiful. And then that was uh, followed up with probably the most obscure movie of the weekend from 1958 called Woman Eater or The Woman Eater. Um, mm. Pretty interesting film, 70 minute runtime. Uh, it's about a mad scientist that captures women and feeds them to uh, like a flesh eating tree. And then um, the scientist extracts a serum from it that helps bring the dead back to life. Uh, it's you know it, it's is this Filipi is this Filipino? I don't believe so. No, it was okay. it was pretty much populated by American actors like Vera Day. Um, huh, so okay. yeah, it was interesting. It wasn't uh, it wasn't like a mind blowing sci fi film from the fifties, but fun enough. Um, some it, of the it, uh, it, it it has a bit of it has a bit of Sam Sherman uh, yeah. sound to it. But yeah, anyway, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. When you see the poster art for it too, you'll think the exact same thing. But um. I think it was only me and one of my other friends that uh, kind of took to it more than some of our other drive-in cronies. I think the consensus was that it was a stinker, but I seem to take uh, something more from it. Uh, nice. The night, yeah, the night closed off that night with William Castle's Macabre, uh, one of the few films that I hadn't seen from him, but one that uh, I was looking forward to, but kind of disappointed me. I found it to be. Uh, overly convoluted and just kind of bursting with too many characters to the point where you're not mm. sure which, you know, when a character is talking about some other, you're kind of confused as to who he's talking to or referring to. So that kind of bummed me out a little bit, but then, um, night two of that was just a full fledged William Castle, um, four film night, uh, which kicked off with a tingler, great Vincent Price vehicle. And, uh, we had the gag, uh, intact, um, you know, at one point, um, you know, the, they had the audio from the drive-in track that told people to honk their horns and stuff, which was very fun. Um, that was followed up by 13 ghosts, which, uh, not an amazing film, but not an awful film by any means, just a mediocre castle effort. And then the night, uh, at least where I took off, um, cause the final film was Mr. Sardonicus, which sadly the print did not come in. Um, uh, but before it kind of was, a blessing in disguise because uh, the third film, which should have been the last, was actually it's one of my favorite Castle films, Homicidal. Uh, great, mm. really, really fun film. And then that weekend ended off on Sunday with a double feature. Um, pretty fantastic one to uh, 1953's War of the Worlds and Don Siegel's Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Nice. So, Pretty awesome. My first time seeing War of the Worlds, actually. Uh, and what a great experience, again, on that CinemaScope screen. So that was a treat. Uh, in my estimation, probably one, if not the best schlock lineup yet. At least one of the best. It, it was just a hoot. But uh, definitely a serious endurance test for people that need to stay up for four straight movies that goes, you know, well beyond 3 a.m. But for for non for non uh, non Mahoning goers, uh, this this is a regular annual weekend uh, mm -hmm. of older B movies. Um, yes, and and one that usually goes rather long. Yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely a lengthy night, but um, so fulfilling because it's so rare that you see so many films 
um, like this. And then really, uh, I would say the last one that kind of brings us up to date that I think that's worth talking uh, was just this past Tuesday, where, again, Exhumed Films teams up with the Mahoning for this reoccurring series uh, that they do called Tunnel Vision Tuesdays, Mm -hmm. where they bring... Um, genre films from all walks of genres uh, to the drive-in on 35 millimeter. And this past Tuesday, uh, we were fortunate enough to uh, be witness to a Tarantino favorite, Rolling Thunder from 1977. Uh, I feel like that's a fa- I feel like it's a favorite of tons of people. But yes, it should he, be. He, I mean, he did name. He has pulled from that from that movie multiple like sources, including. Rolling Thunder Pictures, Rolling yep. Thunder Books. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. The gang in that movie is the Acuna Boys, which, of course, is the Mexican restaurant yep. ad in Grindhouse. And I think there's other Acuna Boys mentions in, 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 in his movies. Oh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, th- that was a movie that I can't remember if I saw it when it played Alamo Yonkers. But it is it is a... It is a powerhouse '70s, you know, slammer. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's a fantastic movie. I had seen it before. Um, it was a lighter crowd, um, um, unfortunately, because uh, we had a bit of bad weather. But thankfully, by showtime, it had cleared up. So uh, print looked great. Uh, Exune Films always brings a really phenomenal trailer reel um that had a bunch of stuff on it like no small town in texas and a canon vehicle called the no mercy man which looks and sounds fantastic it played the first uh it played the first um we have a canon that's that's the original canon that's not going to go on global's canon right it's a um back from vietnam um back from vietnam vigilante um vigilante kind of western rural story it played the first, let me see, the first exhumed Guilty Pleasures marathon at Yonkers and definitely played one of their old, like, um, X-Fests, maybe? X-Fests, yeah. It, 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 had played, it had played that as well. Uh, it's pretty good. It's pretty good, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah so he, they had a lot of vigilante-esque um, stuff, as well as a Shaw Brothers uh, trailer for, I believe, Man of Iron, Um, which was awesome. But yeah, Rolling Thunder is always awesome. Um, It's a, you know, from uh, Paul Schrader, who co-wrote it, of course, the writer of Taxi Driver. Uh, It's great. It's really good. It's a fantastic vigilante fueled about a returning Vietnam War vet who comes home uh, to San Antonio. um, And then he goes on a vengeance streak when his wife and son are killed in a home invasion. So he teams up with one of his old army buddies who's played, um, um, in a very nuanced role by Tommy Lee Jones, and they go to clean house. Um, but it's great. I've always preferred Rolling Thunder um, over Death Wish because I know Death Wish is always kind of seen as like this this high water mark of '70s vigilante features. But for my money, uh, Rolling Thunder is is better. I, you know that I, I don't think I could, could compare the two, even though um, I just I do wish like that Rolling Thunder had more had more notoriety than death wishes. I don't know if that's because yeah. death wish had five films and, and they made a franchise around it. And it was Bronson, but I mean, for, for what it's worth, I think rolling thunder should definitely be the, the film, the vigilante film that people talk more about. But vigilante, you know, rolling thunder, of course, takes its name from operation rolling thunder from yep. Vietnam is a post Vietnam movie. 
uh, it, it's already kind of a, coming from a different place and a different time in the seventies, which is which is notable. Mm-hmm. In seven in seventy four, the the um, the Vietnam War was still on. And yep. you're talking about, I mean, there's so much about Rolling Thunder that really is Texas, especially, I can't think of the movie without that great, albeit drippy, uh, country song, San Antonio, It's Really Good to See You. Yep. Like, I, I love that, but um, the it's fact great. that it's a Texas story, though, I will say, versus the urban, the very uh, urban middle class or upper middle class uh, settings of New York City in, in Death Wish, they're, they're really different kind of things. Um, but, and, and, and I mean, yeah, and different budgets as well, dramatically. Yeah. Um, but, I, but let's not forget that, uh, terrific supporting second lead, whatever character actor, William Devane, an Albany, New York native, mm-hmm. um, is the lead, uh, in, uh, in Rolling Thunder. And it's always great to see him. And he does a spectacular job as the protagonist in that. Uh, I will always think of him as one of the as one of the bad guys um, or uh, just he, he always played a lot of like corporate and slimy and two phase type characters, but a fantastic actor. But I always think of him in, in Marathon Man. He's fantastic in Marathon Man as well. Um, yeah. You know, what, you know, what was great a couple of years ago. William Devane popped up um, in the short lived television show that my wife and I we would tune into every week because it was hilarious. It was called The Grinder. It starred Rob Lowe as um, a television actor who oh decides boy. to pack it in. He plays a television actor who is a lawyer, but he decides to pack it in and follow his true calling or what he thinks is his true calling uh, and going into the family business, which his father and brother, who is played by Fred Savage, he returns home to their home in Ohio to become wow. a real lawyer. And William Devane is their father. And it's it's really a Fred Savage Rob Lowe vehicle, but William Devane is hilarious in it. He's so yeah. funny. And I'm like, it really great to see him pop up at that really point. Really great, really great actor. I would have loved to see him in more leads, uh, but he's yeah. reliably he's reliably good. And I think we'll have to come back to him. There's there's one of his features I kind of need to look at closely. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I want to throw... Did you have more? Or, or, uh, no, I mean, that that basically does it up for me. I mean, I, I, I will certainly have more to watch this weekend with, uh, you know, many more weeks left in the drive-in season. So uh, there'll be plenty more stuff to catch on 35 millimeter. But, uh, yeah, I'll be taking a breather after this weekend. And then all next week, I'll be uh, just couching it, if you will, and yeah. catching up on, on, on the stacks, as we say. In our I'm going to have – yes, the stacks. I will have to, uh, you know, after going across the country to basically see uh, movies for two nights, yeah, <laughs> um, I will be taking. I'll be taking a bit of a breather also. But um, uh, pl- two more that I forgot. Um, one, um, we uh, we did just cover um, the Nigel Dick movie, PI Private Investigations, last episode. I was intrigued, and I went into the nefarious world of of uh made on demand discs and i don't think i this i don't think i've ever seen this before this is a mgm limited edition collection dvdr mm-hmm. of the second the second movie oh i still i still use them a lot yeah. of dvd a lot of archive discs are d are, are um the made on demand the second movie second feature film uh and this is i think 89 uh, i'm not certain that uh nigel dick made is deadly intent okay nice. um it was okay as a th- again as a thriller it has a lot of 
has a lot of uh, uh, thematic points in common. Like he obviously liked to do like double cross type thrillers. Um, but look at this cast: Lisa Eilbacher, Steve Railsback, Maud Adams, Fred Williamson, Persis Kambata from uh, Nighthawks and Megaforce. Oh yeah, and, and uh, what Star Trek, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, Lance Hedrickson and David Dukes. Wow. Um, it has. I will say, uh, I will say, some of these actors don't get to do a lot, especially not Fred the Hammer. Um, but uh, I found it was okay. It wasn't great, but oh, it's eighty-eight, eighty-eight, and it's direct-to-video, so um, it makes sense that it's on this disc. But I don't. I'm pretty sure this is the last release of it. Um, the final twist really worked. Speaking of a movie like Blowout that has a, a smash out, uh, a smashing ending, the yeah. final twist really worked, and I felt like was a device I've seen done since this movie. Mm-hmm. But I think uh, I think there was a bit a bit of it that was it was pretty interesting. Um, it's very much the same kind of thing as um, as PI Private Investigations, where there is an innocent who gets put into. A uh, a whole plot that they didn't want to be involved in and kind of ha- are kind of dragged into um, despite their lack of awareness and that's the Lisa Eilbacher character, um, you know worth a look. Uh, I, definitely not great, but uh, what was great was a movie that I have wanted to see for years, maybe fifteen years since I read Stephen Scheuer's. Re- no, it wasn't Stephen Scheuer, though I'm sure he has a good review. It also. Uh, the Terror on Tape book had a great oh. review of this film called Lies from, uh, I think it's 1983, directed by the Wheat Brothers, Ken and Jim Wheat, which yeah. I've been, I've literally spent like, like, I, I you know, it's one of those like, oh, I want to see this 15 years past. Like, oh, am <laughs> I going to find this? This is a film lost to VHS. It's on key video. It's um, Anne Dusenberry, uh, Burt Remsen. Clue Gulliger, Bruce Davison, um, really fantastic. It's funny because it says uh, that's interesting. It says it says '86 on it, not not the release of the video, but I'm pretty sure this is an '83 movie. So I don't know what the release of this movie was, but mm-hmm. really fantastic, um, twisty thriller. Nobody knows this fucking movie. There's no, there's like you know only a few reviews of it on uh, on um, Letterboxd. Um, if, if we're using that as a rubric, but then again, you know, I I, I don't know. There's there, there's I I'm 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 opening up to Letterbox slowly. It's, yeah, yeah. It's, you try you your, try and subtly your, drop that nugget in, thinking I wouldn't make a big deal of it. It's your nefarious influence, uh, as you know, you the bad influence you are. But um, I'm sorry, you, you know, let me let let me let me in, let me pull the basic old man card and be like, there's so many new jacks on there. There's so many people on on that site, I'm sorry to say, that are like looking to get offended by a movie that was made in the 60s. Yeah. And there's so many people who are like, like I read, I read like a one sentence review trashing like, I don't know, like Citizen Kane or something, where it's like, who are these people? But it has that. It has a lot of that new Jack quality to me. And yes, I am using a term from the late 80s. But basically people who just got on there and are, you know, are just seeing movies like it doesn't have as much of the backbone of um, 
of experience in, in dealing with movies, especially with dealing with movies of the past. There are good people on it. I'm not saying, you know, but uh, I'm dabbling because I don't, again, I don't need another website, you know, come social media yeah. uh, platform to indulge in. But I'm poking around on it and it's interesting. But uh, anyway, Lies by uh, the Wheat Brothers, 1983. It's only on video. I was just finally got around to buying a copy of the tape, and uh, wow, wow, wow. I hope, I hope something can be done with this movie because it certainly, it certainly needs to be seen. Um, that, hey, that sounds great, and you say that nobody's heard about that, but the people who listen to this damn podcast now know about it. So, <laughs> so hunting. So okay. So um, we were trying to do this relatively short, but we're some talking sons of bitches. We are. Um, we are uh, basically wrapping up season one. Would you like to yes. uh, cover this? Yeah. Um, yeah. So this is a not least of which um, the fact that me and Dino have been what seems to be endlessly busy and yeah, seeing movies is busy. Uh, that's it's time consuming, but beyond that uh, life um, thing, you know, life throws things that are at, down our way. Uh, we all have jobs, obviously. So um, this is an elaborate excuse. Basically yeah. you're listening to a <laughs> podcast of two guys explaining why they can't podcast more. Anyway, carry on. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but yeah, but we have uh, figured out um, an interesting strategy that we just wanted to pitch to you guys um, as we move forward. So as Dino mentioned, we are going to be closing out what is going to become our first season of I eat movies. Don't worry because we still have one more episode that we hope to bring to you, which will bring us to lucky number 13. And I believe it's safe to say that we can drop that now um, in a bit of a uh, farewell to the summer season. Our 13th and final episode of this season is going to be on 1980s Little Darlings, starring Tatum O'Neill and Christy McNichol, teamed with 1982's Spring Fever, because nothing says like a summer farewell like Spring Fever. Like a, movie about, a movie about spring, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so we can drop that little nugget to you guys. Um when this episode posts, it'll probably be about a week and a half, two weeks once we uh, get to our final one. So um, the idea moving forward is I Eat Movies is going to take uh, a couple weeks hiatus after we drop our 13th episode. And then going forward, we hope to package the show in season format. What that means is we're going to we're going to keep a steady schedule of anywhere from 10 to 12 episodes moving forward. That way we have some sort of a finish line or a goal that we can reach to. And then each time we reach that uh, finale, if you will, we'll do the same thing. We'll kind of take a few weeks hiatus while keeping you guys very much in the loop on social media and what have you. And in turn, give you guys a really good opportunity to get caught up on our episodes because it works twofold. It helps me and Dino to not get uh, totally burnt out by doing the show, ensuring that we have the maximum amount of fun doing this, which we already do. But it allows us to kind of keep things fresh, really re-strategize and think about uh, which new uh, directions we want to take the show, what new films we want to introduce you guys to. So it takes a little bit more of research and, um, you know, some steady time for us to recharge those batteries so we can continue to give, um, you know, the quality show that we think you guys deserve. So right. that's a long explanation to say we got one more episode in us. After that, we're taking a break, but then we will be back 
with our season two, which will go on for and by and by break, we're not talking about a long period of time, but yes, no, no, yeah, it's we're 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 I think we're kind of uh we're probably being a little over dramatic there. Break, we mean maybe maybe three weeks at max, maybe exactly. Exactly. So, so not long before the next season starts, but we just wanted you guys to be made uh, very much aware of that. Uh, we've been kicking around ideas, um, you know, back and forth. We're constantly in contact with each other. So, uh, yeah, I think season two is going to be a lot of fun. Um, very interesting. You know, like we said, we hope to introduce you guys to a ton of new movies. Hope, Hopefully we introduce ourselves to a ton of new movies that we just want to turn you guys on to. But, um, yeah. This has been a blast. So, uh, Dino, do you have any other thing else? Uh, Just a quick mention. Yeah. Uh, we have again. There's a bunch of a bunch of ideas we're always we're always throwing around. But um, as you as as those who've seen those two movies that Mike just announced for our next episode may have guessed, we are focusing on two um, teen girl dramas of the '80s. Uh, we did focus on on one female actor. This for our first uh, for one episode, um, Linda Cristal. Uh, for one episode in our first season, we are looking to do more overlooked female characters and female stories uh, for obvious reasons. It's the majority of the population. Um, and there's a there's a bunch of people that we were looking at thinking about Carol Baker, for instance. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just realized that um, as a child, I definitely had a crush on Susan St. James for uh, Kate and Allie. Sure. Uh, was, was listening to was listening to a, a Gilbert podcast with the creator of Kate Nowy today, and I want to look at some of the, for instance, Susan St. James uh, material, who didn't have a long career, but she did the whole run of Kate Nowy, which is not nothing, and was 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 uh, acting for decades before that. Um, we would love to hear suggestions, especially from yes. uh, female, um, uh, especially about, uh, in general, but especially from female fans. Uh, one of our female fans uh, did suggest Bernie Casey at one point, which we have not forgotten and we want to work on for yeah. our second season. Yes, that um, has not been forgotten. Not a chance. But, but definitely, um, yeah, shout out to Cyberdyne, as it were. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, yeah, and we were definitely curious on who are uh, female actors that you think get overlooked that did great work maybe in secondary tertiary uh supporting roles or whatnot who are some of the female um actors directors producers who you think are worth looking at because uh they get overlooked um hit us up on social media uh this is the part of the show where we tell you uh not only to rate this podcast but uh check us out on facebook i eat movies podcast i eat movies podcast on instagram and um Thank you for indulging us uh, on another short episode uh, where we don't get maybe not quite as nerdy as normal. So, <laughs> don't worry that 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 will return in our next yes, episode yes. Uh, for, uh, sure, you know, for it, sure. It's it's hot out. We have to adjust <laughs> accordingly. Not not uh you know not tire ourselves out too much. Indeed, indeed. Uh, yeah. Thank you guys again for tuning in, supporting. I eat movies. Dino, have a smashing time in the city of angels. Be sure That's to come back. <laughs> I will try to come back. Yes. You try to come back now. Uh, yeah. Again, guys, thank you guys for tuning in, and uh, we will be back in I eat movies number thirteen with our looks at Little Darlings and Spring Fever. Until then, eat more damn movies. Eat Later, more Dino. Motherfucking movies. Take care. <laughs> Thank you.